Uh, England's miserable uh, run of series defeats continues uh, and uh, it's kind of deja vu. Uh, we spoke to Paul Newman um, after the sackings of Chris Silverwood and when Ashley Giles stood down as well. Uh, and at that time, it was being touted as the Red Bull reset. And here we are a couple of months later. Um, it's got from bad to worse. So uh, we're catching up with Paul, who's uh, just about to get on a plane back from Grenada. But as we can see from the video, um, it looks like there's a, a bit of a Caribbean backdrop to, to where he is. Morning, Paul. How are you? Morning, Darren. I'll just show you a bit of Grenada there before we get going. There we are. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a miserable test match here, hasn't it? I'm afraid for England. Um, uh, another another series without uh, without winning, as you say. That's five on the trot now, where they haven't won, which is um, one of their worst runs of all time, and only one win in 17 test matches, and that's pretty grim, isn't it? Um, I'm old enough to remember the bad old days of the 80s and 90s before central contracts, and I'm afraid this is uh, this is worse now. Um, uh, those first couple of tests were okay, played on very flat pitches. You know, they were, they were, it was possible to see some green shoots of recovery from England. It was possible to cut them some slack. But I'm afraid when the pressure was on, the series was there for the winning uh, in the third test here in Grenada. Then it all just fell apart, both in the field and with the bat. And that was, uh, that was pretty miserable to watch, I'm afraid. Um, do you think there would have been a different outcome if uh, Mark Wood and Ollie Robinson had been fit? And even if Joffrey Archer had been part of this would we be having a different conversation yeah absolutely I mean I think that they would have been a lot better in the Ashes as well you know so much of their Ashes challenge was based on the pace of uh, of, of Wood and Archer and, and Ollie Stone as well and losing Joffre is obviously a, a huge blow and, and losing Woody was a huge blow in the in the middle of the first test as well um, uh, in, on that one I mean I, I gather that um, he had a, 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 an injection in his elbow before he came out on this tour where he was experiencing some pain in it and you could point to the fact that he was he was overbowled in Australia once the Ashes were lost. He did most of his bowling in Australia after after Australia had already won won the Ashes. So so you do think that might have been self inflicted as well. I'm afraid by England and uh, and uh, by by poor management of Woody. Ollie Robinson is a very frustrating one. There's clearly an extremely talented uh, bowler there. We saw in Hobart him have back problems and and they get a public warning from the bowling coach John Lewis over the general state of his fitness. Clearly, is taking his time for taking time for him to adjust to the, the highest level in terms of what's needed. Um, but it was it was a huge blow, and, it, and I'm beginning to wonder whether it was slightly psychological as well, because in the build-ups to the he had this uh, back spasm. Uh, that's what we were told it was in the warm-up game in Antigua that ruled him out of the first test. That we were told it came too soon. Then he looks to be bowling perfectly well in practice before Barbados. Then there was there was there was some sort of setback before Barbados, and the same thing happened in Grenada. Um, so I'm wondering whether it's psychological now, whether Ollie perhaps is frightened of breaking down in another test because he knows how bad that would look and how bad it would be for his career. But what he's got to do now is go back to, to county cricket and, and play in a run of matches to prove that he can he can last uh, the pace and he is fit enough because there is a really talented bowler there and his absence was, again, a blow in this series. But you, you have to say, you know, the biggest problem is, is batting collapses and it's still batting collapses, even though they scored runs on the flat pitches of Antigua and Barbados. Uh, they, they still came tumbling down with a series of poor shots uh, on that that that, that sort of ill-fated third day in the, of, the, of the final test after they'd been shown the way to do it by West Indies Joshua De Silva. Just good old-fashioned application and determination and England just couldn't do that. And the trouble is, you know, we just mentioned Wood and Archer, you know, 
we've our batting has not been blown away in either series, Ashes or the West Indies, by raw pace. You know, you look at Boland in Australia and you look at Mayers in the West Indies. They're not quick. They're, no. they're, they're the international equivalent of medium pace trundlers. And yet they're still Absolutely. knocking us over. Absolutely. I couldn't. I couldn't believe Carl Mayers. I mean, you know, 29-year-old in his 11th test, he looked like a journeyman. He looked like a modern-day Mark Elam for those 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 people old enough to remember him. Um, and he just came, as you say, he, little more than the, the medium, uh, trundling in. And he, he had ridiculous figures of five for nine uh, at one stage. Um, and it just isn't good enough, really. That that just is a serious, serious concern that 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 a bowler like that is is, is taking wickets against England. And we're seeing England players playing. Uh, some some you know terrible shots time and time again. We're seeing Zach Crawley. Okay, Zach Crawley didn't get out to Myers, but but he he keeps on getting out to booming drives. Um, and he, there's so much talent there, but the, but it's got to be it's got to be it's got to be applied as well. And to keep to, to get the game management of, of of England's better players is is just not good enough. Johnny Bairstow played a really bad ball. He's got a great century in Antigua, and it looked like it was suiting him at six. And okay, you know he's been messed around. He's got a, a regular role now. But but he was not nearly as good after that that century. Obviously, the captain is the exception to this. Joe Root scored two two centuries in the first two tests. Looked looked as good as ever. Truly world class. But he fouled twice, both to Myers in that uh, in that that last game. And I think he might be a player, you know, a bit like Alistair Cook, who who actually is is better against proper pace, proper test bowling, and against a sort of Darren Stevens type uh, figure. Uh, I call him Mark Eden. Now call him Darren Stevens. Um, it, it just both shows. Yeah, 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 both Ken bowlers, yeah. Um, it just wasn't it wasn't Joe's sort of game, but no no blame can be attached to Joe the batsman, that's for sure. But 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 you're right, boy. These are the and Scott going back to Scott Boland and uh, others of that ilk, these are not bowlers that should be bowling out the England test side, and, and that's the one of the biggest reasons why we're bottom of the world test championship now. Seems to be a question of mentality, certainly where the batting's concerned. Um what can be done to address that? Is that a case of uh, a, a new innovative coach coming in um, to just try and do that? Or do you think it should be, at this level, people should have that anyway? I, I can't quite get my head around what needs to be done. But they should have it at this level anyway. But it is a, it is a question of mindset, isn't it? And we've seen so much of the domestic game now be about the white ball. Um, and that was obviously gloriously fulfilled, that, that, that policy that came in in 2015 with the 2019 World Cup. But we, it has to change now because Test cricket is still so important to us as a nation. So many people love it. So many people have been here in their thousands, you know, watching watching it. It shows how important it still is. And I'm afraid the whole first-class structure has been under undermined, hasn't it, in recent years? People say the 100 only came in last year. Well, they've been, the ECB have been obsessed with it for years. And I think a lot of our players are in that white ball mentality. There's not There doesn't seem to be the patience in our game. I mean, we've saw... We just saw patience from the West Indies, didn't we? I mean, it wasn't thrilling, but the way Carl, uh, Craig Brathwaite batted in uh, Barbados, he batted for hours and hours and hours, barely played a, lo a loose shot. And this is something that our, our players, who've got more natural talent than Brathwaite, not, not knocking him at all, he showed an incredible display of concentration, um, barely played a full shot, but he play barely played a memorable one either. It wasn't, it wasn't scintillating cricket by any means, but it, it was what was needed. They, the West Indies ground down England over those first two tests, and then applied the, the, the killer punch in the, in the third when the game was up, when the series was up for grabs. And I think, it, I think Darren, as you say, it is mentality. It's our whole mindset. Uh, you know, someone like Zach Crawley is definitely, definitely talented enough to be a, a, a seriously good Test class batsman. Um, we saw it when he scored a double hundred against um, 
against Pakistan, and we saw it when he scored 100 here. But but he, but he, he just he plays these silly shots, which we just we just thinks that we just suggest that he's he's not uh, he's not of the right mindset. And and it's it's we saw it with Ollie Pope before they dropped him. Um, and one thing I would say is is Essex's Dan Lawrence looked uh, looked terrific. Um, he had a difficult third test as well when the ball moved, but but you would say that he came out with a lot of uh, credit from this series. And one of the one of the plus points um, uh, number four is Essex position. I think it may be one too high for him at a test level uh, because he's going to get those uh, those those moving pitches undone him in the third test. But but he 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 showed uh, he showed a, a really refreshing mentality. He managed to uh, combine his attack with uh, with a, a defence that's needed at this level as well. Um, so there were there were encouraging points. But as a, as a collective, the batting just is not in the right mindset. Maybe a, a very good coach will. Do something about that. I think it is time for a disciplinarian. It's time for an Andy Flower or a Duncan Fletcher. It's time for someone to get hold of this team and say, "Come on, um, you're, you're not the worst in the world." This is what Duncan Fletcher said to Nasser Said in 1999. We're not the, the worst in the world. We're much better than that. We may not be the best in the world, but we've got to be better than this. And I think it goes to back to the, the whole ethos of, of the first class system and the domestic cricket and what we're trying to achieve, really. No better it's also, to deliver that message than when you put them on the rankings, is there? Absolutely, it is. It is very similar to 1999 when Nasser and Duncan took over. I think in that, you know, they're 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 at rock bottom. The only way is up. Um, and we maybe they were taking baby steps in the first two tests, but we were lulled into a, a, a full sense of optimism there. I think by the pitches, um, and this really is as, as bad as it gets because we, we we're so well resourced now, aren't we? The, the resources England have got. They had a nutritionist here for the first test and. The sort of thing West Indies can only dream about. I mean, West Indies have an English chief executive, Johnny Grave, and he was talking to us about the resources that England have in comparison. England, apart from India, England have got the best resources in the world, you know, the amount of support staff they have. And that's all come from TV money and central contracts uh, and what have you. But but now that it seems to have turned full circle. And while our white ball cricket is brilliant, we've, we've seen the real extent of how bad our test cricket is now. Um, and we, we have to address it because test cricket is too important. And if that means making some sacrifices to the to the white ball game again, then then so be it. Because if you look at the schedules as well in the next two years, there's an extraordinary amount of cricket. Paul Collingwood, the interim coach, called it horrific the other day because they're playing COVID catch up. Um, they're not they're not given an inch on any cricket that was meant to be played, you know, during the pandemic. So uh, something's got to give, really. And I, I think it's, it's, going to, it's going to have to be two pretty separate teams from now on. And there's not going to be too many multi-format players because they've got to concentrate on their test cricket. They've got to concentrate on getting better and let the white ball team go off and do what they're continuing to still do very well. And, and that might be one thing we've got to do, certainly in, in terms of the coaches. I think there'll be a test coach and a, and a one-day coach after this. Um, and and that, that will hopefully start the recovery as well. We need uh, England players playing more county cricket, particularly the, the, the test players, uh, like in the old days when you and I were youngsters, Paul, um, where if you weren't playing for England, you went back to your county and played county championship. That seems to have tailed off the last few years, but I think that can only be a good thing if they're encouraged to play as much red ball as possible. Is that a possibility, do you think? Well, the problem, Darren, is there's so much international cricket, isn't there? It's, it's, it's fitting into the calendar. It's a possibility if they're going to play first-class cricket only. I mean, we've seen Stuart Ball and Jimmy Anderson, you know, the two bowlers whose names are not meant to be mentioned out here. You know? um, we, we've seen them only play test cricket for the last four or five years. And, and that, has, that has helped their, their bodies considerably and that has helped their workload considerably. And they have played a bit of county cricket, maybe not too much because they're bowlers and they have to be protected. And I know that 
can go down badly with uh, with traditionalists. But but I do think when you look at the you know the injury records of the bowlers in the past, and you see how much county cricket you know the the the, the, the Darren Goffs and the Angus Fraser has played, you would have thought you would have wanted them to play more of their cricket for England. Now things have changed considerably. In an ideal world, yes, they'd have a good warm up before the first test. They'd play four or five. Um, first-class games, but of course they're at the wrong time of the year as well as it stands at the moment, aren't they? You know, the season starts next week. Pitches are not going to be anything like we, we, we've seen in the Caribbean. So it's a question of the right sort of, of, of preparation as well and the right sort of matches. Um, I think, yes, I think it would be a good thing if it's possible, but in the current with the current calendars and itineraries, uh, unless you're playing test cricket only, I think it's going to be difficult to achieve. Um, you mentioned the elephant in the room about... Uh... Stuart Broad and, uh, and Jimmy Anderson. And selection was also another factor of England's winter, both in Australia and uh, very clearly in the Caribbean. Um, do you think we just need to start from scratch again and, and look beyond the current sort of crop? Or, 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 or who needs to, to get a grip of selection to try and make it more workable? Well, Andrew Strauss is, is in the middle of this... Um a high performance review, isn't he? He's setting that up for the ECB and we're hearing, you know, a few things that might be coming out of that. Um, I, I think we, I think one thing that he will do is, is go back to having the national selector. Uh, I think they'll, they'll get rid of this system where the, the, the head coach had responsibility for selection and poor old Chris Silverwood had far too much on his hands there, particularly when a pandemic came along as well. It just wasn't feasible for him to be on top of selection and coaching both the white ball and, and the red ball side. So I think we get, we are going to go back to, to, you know, rip it up and start again, really, and go back to where we were. One of the things that's going to come out of this review will be maybe a, a head coach with overall responsibility sitting over assistant coaches, one for test cricket, one for white ball cricket. We're having the national selector again, I think. Um, and uh, and, and that, that can only be a good thing. And, and someone, you know, Ed Smith uh, was sacked because he didn't get on well with the players, really. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, you know, the players are going to have to put up with an independent voice, are going to have to put up with someone yeah. coming in from the outside because the sort of bubble, the cosy bubble, as it were, is, is not working. Um, and I felt, I felt for Chris Silverwood. I think he, he, had, uh, he was given far too much on his plate. Um, and, and, you know, he took two years out from the Ashes. He was talking absolutely the right game about hitting them with pace, about getting Joffre there, making sure he managing his workload to get him there fit. Same with Woody, same with Ollie Stone. And it just didn't work out because of injuries, because of the pandemic and what was a well-intentioned rest and rotation policy. But in theory, but in practice, sorry, it wasn't um, it wasn't fit for purpose. So, yes, I think it, I think we'll go back. We'll go around in circles, really, but we'll go back to what we used to have. Uh, and that can only be a good thing, really, uh, an independent voice looking at selection. I'm not saying there are a lot of better players out there that are not being picked. That's the thing. Um, you know, you can only look around the, at the lack of captaincy alternative to realise that there's not a huge amount of talent out there that's not in the England setup. It's getting the best out of what they have got and, and appreciating that they're much better players than they're showing. Big debate this week about the captaincy um, and Joe Root. Um, if you if you if you believe the media and uh, and all that's been said, um, it looks like it's the end of uh, Joe Root's days as captain. Um, but looking beyond that. Um, alternatives seem to be few and far between, unless um, you go completely left field. Now, I've seen you've put forward the name of Sam Billings as a possible alternative, should Joe step aside. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's perfect, Darren, by any means. I'm not saying that's the answer, but, answer, but I think it does sum up where we're at in terms of, of, of lack of alternatives. Now, 
we, we need to say that Joe Root is a fantastic uh, person, a great role model, and one of the best bats, batters England have ever had. So, but that doesn't mean that he's a great captain and it doesn't mean he should carry on now. I mean, he, I, I think he only survived the Ashes when everybody else was being sacked because there were no viable alternatives as captain. Uh, and we've seen again here that I'm afraid he was found wanting as a captain when 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 he when the pressure was on when on when they needed to get the last two West Indies wickets on that third morning he was completely bereft of inspiration imagination energy it was just naive tactics in the, in the extreme to let to let uh, the silver get up to 100 and get West Indies get up to a um, a match winning lead <clears throat> and that that was Joe's captaincy in a nutshell so <clears throat> excuse me I do think he needs to be. Uh, needs to be replaced, needs to either stand down or be told he's, he's got to go. He's had over five years at it. Um, and and the, the sad truth is England are going backwards rather than forwards. So it's not a good enough reason to say there's nobody else. He, he, I'm afraid we have to find somebody else. Now, the obvious one is, is Ben Stokes, of course. Um, he's the vice captain. He's, got, he's the best player, he, he, best all-round player. He's got a great cricket brain. He would, be, he would command the respect of the team. Uh, and all the rest of it. But I just think it would be too much. I just think it would be far too much for someone who's so yeah. important, such a talisman, and someone who does everything at 100 miles an hour. I think he would he would throw himself into it so much that um, he would break, you know, like we saw with, with Bothman Flintoff, other all-rounders before him. Um, also, we have to remember, this is a guy who was taking a break for his mental health not too long ago. Absolutely. Now, yeah. I'm happy... I'm happy to say he looks in a, a good place here. He looks much more like his old self. He, he, he was terrific uh, with that 100 in Barbados. He bowled his, his heart out when he was not meant to be doing much bowling at all because of a side strain. But that rather makes the point, I think, that he would do he would do everything possible. He would end up doing all the bowling, all the batting. I don't think he'd like the the, the sort of rounds of media interviews and everything that comes with it that, that goes with the captaincy. Now, that's not... Not, not that important in the general scheme of things, but it, it is a factor. So I, I just think it would be a, a mistake to give it to Ben. I know there are a lot of good judges, including Nasser, who think that, that Ben is the, the, the best choice. And in some ways, he's the only choice. But I, I think you've just got to go outside of that. And I've seen Stuart Broad as a short-term solution. Yes, possibly. But we play seven tests this summer. Would he be fit enough to play all of them? And you want your captain to play every game. Um, so I, I think looking at it, I, you know, I think James Vince has got some merit even though he's not been able to fully uh, hold down an England place. But he has got leadership experience. <clears throat> I've seen Tom Abel as a real left-field county option. Now, I don't know enough about him, really, except to see that he's got a batting average of 30. By all accounts, he's a first-class batting average of 30. He's, he's, by all accounts, he's a, he's a good man, maybe a bit of a sergeant major type, which may be needed. But for, but for me, the, the best choice is Sam Billings. Now, that may seem uh, odd for someone who's just played one test. He came and played at Hobart in an emergency but I think he's got something about him. He's got leadership experience. He's got a good, bubbly, infectious personality, positive personality. Um, and also, I think that he could fit into the team as the keeper and seven batsmen because Ben Folks had a poor series out here, really, I'm afraid. I'm a big fan of Ben Folks, but he didn't take his opportunity with either bat or the very highest level with the gloves that we know he's capable of. So that makes him slightly vulnerable again. Now, in an ideal world, he would get a home summer. He's not played a home summer, and but he probably will get that. But but I think that that is a way where you could bring in Sam Billions. And I just think that's the, the, the best of, um, of, of some very limited options. Now, as you mentioned before, we are on the cusp of the domestic cricketing summer. Um, they've made certain changes to the... Uh, it, I don't want to say moving deck chairs in the Titanic, but the <laughs> summer just looks like it's not going to do us any favours, either at county level or national level. Um, 
let alone club level. But let's just talk about county cricket for a moment. Um, what are your thoughts looking forward to 2022 and what it means for the counties? Well, it, it is pretty much as it, as it was, isn't it, really? There's a couple more matches in the, in the middle of summer. But if we're serious about improving our first-class cricket and improving our test cricket, we have to change this. We can't have so many matches being played in April and May and then and then so many in, in September. It's not the right time conducive to producing test batsmen, producing spin bowlers, another one of our big weaknesses. Uh, so it has to change. Now, to be fair, I think it is in the process of being changed. This, this Strauss-led high-performance review will look at the whole structure. It's going to come up with some pretty radical um, suggestions, I think, and some of those might not go down well, again, with traditionalists, but I think we do have to look at them. Um, I, I'm a believer in the 18-county system. I, I very much am. I think there are 18 academies to produce talent, but there are some uh, people who, 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 who feel it's too many, and, and that also that the 100 was a first step in producing these sort of super clubs, you know, eight or eight or ten super clubs, and the rest fall by the wayside. Now, if, if that's going... It, it, does it need to be as radical as that? Well... We shall see. Hopefully not. But um, I do think things are going to change for the 2023 season and the proposals, <clears throat> excuse me, will be on the table um, by, by the end of this summer. So for this summer, I don't see too much changing. Uh, but I do think we're in, in for big change moving forward. We, we've changed a lot over the years, haven't we? And we've had these ups and downs. And, but the bottom line is we've, we've only been number one test side in the world for about a year in the last however long, whereas Australia consistently do. It, and they're consistently good at white ball cricket as well. So it can be done. You know, the, the, the fact is that there's, there's far more cricket played in England, which perhaps doesn't, uh, doesn't help in that regard. And we're the only Northern Hemisphere test side. So obviously we play all year round as well, which perhaps doesn't help. There's not real any proper rest time for a lot of our best players. Um, but, but I think big change is, is coming and, and it's change that could uh, cause a lot of um, disquiet and, 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 and trepidation um, amongst um, some people in the domestic games and good people in the domestic game. But I've, I'm trying to keep an open mind and I'm trying to just look at anything that, that is put on the table uh, rationally and, and, and see where it takes us. Because if we don't, if we don't improve things, you know, test cricket, our test cricket and all test cricket will, will, will die. And we, we, I know we've been saying that for generations and, and it's still, but there's still like 10,000 10, English people come to Barbados to watch a test match. So, uh, so there's, there, there is still a huge interest and love for it. Um, but there could be um, some 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 difficulties ahead to to uh, to put that right. Here's one out the back of the hand at you. We're going to whiz forward. The year is 2032. Uh, what is the game of cricket looking like? Well, that's, <laughs> it's, it's quite early in the morning here, Darren. That's going to make my head. That's going to make my. I've got I've got up early for you guys, but that's going to make my my my, my head spin. That one. 2032. Well. I've, I've long thought to myself, I really want to watch cricket in my retirement. You know, I've been blessed and fortunate enough to have a job that involves watching cricket all around the world. But it, but it does bring a different sort of mentality to it because it's your, your, your work as well. And what I want very much is to, to enjoy my retirement watching good cricket with a glass of wine and good company and, and uh, just doing things that I've not been able to do for the last um, uh, 15 and 20 years and for that I, I want it to be first class cricket I want it to be test cricket I'm not I, I, you know I love I love white ball cricket I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed 2020 as I've said before and I, I say again I think the, the 100 was unnecessary and I think the 100 is going to be a big step towards destroying the, the the cricket we love I do fear that that so we're talking 10 or 11 years time aren't we 10 years time I do fear that that test cricket may be uh, struggling by then I, I hope I'm wrong um, I, I, I do think cricket has got a lot going for it. Cricket found a short form that, that, that fits into the modern world. 
uh, and and is enjoyed by by modern people, by young people. So um, I, I think we've, there's going to be a lot more of that. I just hope that there is still Test cricket. I hope there is first class cricket, and, and that it's not entirely a diet of white ball. I'd like to. Um, ho I hope in ten years' time we won't be seeing the hundred. I hope the 2020 will remain the the short form that's recognised throughout the world and one that's that, that's played and, and is successful throughout the world. Um, but what I what I hope most of all is that Test cricket is still alive and flourishing, and that the England team um, are still not collapsing and uh, and losing Test matches. <laughs> yes, well, me too. Um, I I can't see cricket going away, um, but um, yeah, it's. No. Uh, yeah, it, it certainly. I, uh, I, I personally don't think the hundred will, will survive. I think it will either get dropped or just reformatted, or something will happen. I think there's there's going to be too much. People are going to see more and more of the damage it's doing. Um, marvelous as it is on the on the face of it, but um, yeah, it's, the women's game. I, I, you know, I, I think it was brilliant for the women's game, and but I think if you if you you know had a regular TV slot, if you had all the marketing and, and all the effort that went into the hundred, you know, you you, you would make a huge success. Of, of an of an a, a, a 2020 league, you know, yeah. um, I, I can't see why we have to invent a new format. But we've we've said it so often, and we we don't want to go down that road again. I think <laughs> if you if you look at if you look at cricket, you know, it, it does still have a lot going for it. There's so much doom and gloom a lot of the time. Um, but if you were starting now, if you were inventing the game, you probably wouldn't come up with cricket because it's a game where it, it, it you know you can you can get a first baller and then your day's gone, isn't it? And that's what that's the challenge for young people now, isn't it? We're, when I was young, you'd, you'd happily go along when you were trying to break it up. In my case, Walthamstow third 11, you'd happily bat number 11 and not bowl and get told off in the field if ever you misfielded a ball, because that's what you did, you know, but there's so much uh, de demand for people's time now. There's so many other attractions that it's, you know, you, you've, you've obviously got a young lad who's very good, good at cricket as well. And, and there is still the love amongst the young people and there are still ways of making it a game that, that doesn't take up their whole day for them, not do, for, for them doing very little. Um, but but there are so many challenges. Um, it's got so much going for it. Uh, and as you say, there will there will still be cricket. And when we are in our dotage, I, I still think we'll be watching good quality cricket because the, the love is still there. The wine will be there as well. Um, oh, let's, let's hope so. <laughs> just before you go, just one last word. Um, as we speak, uh, the memorial service is taking place at the MCG uh, for the wonderful Shane Warne and the shocking news of his passing. Um, a couple of weeks back. Would you just like to say a few words uh, about uh, about Shane and uh, yeah. his impact? Well, it's one of those, you'd always remember where you were. In my case, it was sitting at the um, at the old Allen Stanford ground in Antigua, where we were playing a warm-up game, just arrived for the last day of the warm-up game, thinking it was going to be a, a quiet day. Um, and, and, and suddenly Ali Martin of The Guardian just shouted out Shane Wall. And I was saying, what, what, what? And, and you just can't believe it. And even now, it's... it's it's extraordinary to think he's gone, isn't it? It's, it's surreal. It's, it's, it's hard to put into words that, that he's gone at 52. Um, and I know that um, there's going to be a fitting tribute to him in, in Melbourne today. Um, but um, the, the greatest bowler that ever lived, the most charismatic cricketer that, that ever lived, pure box office. I mean, I think the reaction to his passing told you everything you needed to know. He transcended cricket. He transcended sport, didn't he? He was probably one of the best-known cricketers of, of, of all time. I, I had people that I didn't think had any interest in cricket contacting me saying, Shane Wall's passed away. You know, they couldn't believe it because they knew who he was. He, 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 he was just good for the game. Now, I, I personally didn't think he was a very good broadcaster. Um, I, I, I clashed with him a little bit as a, as a media person. He, I, I wasn't one of his favourites, I don't think. I, I thought he was agenda-driven at, at times. Um, but he, he, was, he, he was just an incredible, incredible cricket person. Um, 
always positive, um, always, uh, you know, the, the people who played under him and the people who knew him well just idolised and worshipped him. Um, and truly, there'll they'll never be another. And I still, it's still hard to, to believe that he's, that he's gone at 52. It really is. Unbelievable and shocking news. And as you say, yeah, it really, it really was. And I was there, moment. I remember when I found out and I, I thought someone was mistaken identity or whatever else. And it was someone completely yeah. non-cricket related was telling me the news. Um, very, very shocking. Okay, Paul, many, many thanks for your time. We'll let you head off to the airport and come back. Um, temperatures are dropping steadily here. It was warm at the weekend, but it's freezing again now. So uh, oh, make sure when I've you get back lucky, to I've lucky, <laughs> lucky I brought my coat with me. I've been, I've been carrying this coat around with me for the last five weeks. So it's, it's going to come in useful at work for once. <laughs> many thanks for your time. And we'll catch up soon. Safe trip back, Mr. Paul Newman from the Daily Mail. Thanks, Darren.